0: Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord! Why would you have the day of the Lord? It's darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or he went to a house and leaned against his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despite your feasts and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I won't accept them. And the peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like the ever-flowing streams. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. for you know neither the day nor the hour.
1: Lord, uh, we sang a moment ago, Lord, you have our hearts, and we will search for yours. As we come to these passages this morning, help us to see your heart, that what is in your heart might fill our hearts, that we might know that we are loved and that we are to carry the love that you have not just for us but for this world everywhere we go, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen, do be seated. So we come to the easy passages uh, this morning in the Bible, the hallmark cards that uh, we will send to each other after Thanksgiving. And uh, so on one hand, we've got Amos, and on the other hand, we've got the parable of the ten virgins. I once was in rural Alberta, and I met a deacon named Amos, and I listened very carefully to everything he said, and I left before he could pray for me. Um, On one hand, we have this Old Testament reading, this oracle from Amos. And he's dealing with the kind of sin that will provoke the funeral of a nation. And on the other hand, we have these 10 virgins. And what might, these are not texts that we've chosen, they are the sign for the day, so what might the Lord be saying to us today through these two um, passages? And the Psalm thrown in for a little relief so we can catch our breath. Um, we see, if you open your, your uh, bulletin up to page three, we see that there's a problem. There's a problem. And what is that problem? Well, the worship and religious activity of the day had become manipulative and was carried on without regard for daily justice and righteousness. We'll come to those two terms, righteousness and justice, in a moment because they're slightly different than what we might think of today. Worship and religious activity had become manipulative and was carried out without regard for two things that are very close to the Lord's heart, justice and righteousness. So what was going on? Um, Well, we, we see here that the religious activities were far from pleasing God. They were actually alienating Him You know, he's like, I don't want anything to do with it. And if you look with me, you'll see here that there's a recurrence of the pronoun. This is where grammar matters. The pronoun your, as opposed to our, or as opposed to mine. Look down with me in 21, verse 21. I hate and despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. It's pretty strong, isn't it? The feasts and assemblies, as they are celebrating them, cannot bring them closer to God god does not want only religious behavior from his people he wants their total devotion he wants to be able to see and trace the line so you worshiped here this time and i can see the fruit of it over here when no one else is watching and that just wasn't happening and so we well let's deal with some of the the challenging stuff here Woe. Now this is not the Keanu Reeves woe. This is not Bill and Ted's woe. This is the bad woe, right? This is woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. What was the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord was a day that everyone waited for with eager anticipation because it was the day when God himself would come and make everything right. But something's, there's a problem. They have become the problem. They have become the very people that God delivered them from back in Exodus. They've become an empire that exploited the weak. God hates and despises Israel's religious feasts and solemn assemblies, their offerings, their songs, because of their persistent sinful conduct and the absence of justice and righteousness. He wants their total devotion as shown in every area of their life. And he says, I will not accept them. But God graciously, it's in his character to extend fellowship and forgiveness to all who turn to him. So something has happened. Something has happened. So what do we mean here when we look at justice? I mean, we could spend a very long time on Amos and it's probably worth doing at some point, but not this morning. Uh, Justice in the Hebrew is the word, and I'm gonna mispronounce it, but as a Canadian giving Texans a Hebrew word, it sounds like mishpat. It's more than legal fairness. It's more than the assurance of having a fair and impartial trial. It's the entire scope of how God wants things to be and worked out in this world. So God's heart for justice isn't just a legal understanding but it's a total comprehensive understanding that the way that I plan for things to run without the presence of sin, without the presence of uh, the enemy and opponent to all the things in our lives, without the cravings of the flesh, this is what it will look like. So to do justice involves on the part of any government, a fair and just use of power and proper functioning. Fair, a fair judicial system, and especially a judicial system that protects the weak from the strong. What, and that, that's easy, I can point my finger to the gov- any government, But what about individuals? What does justice look like working out in our lives? Well, to do justice involves on our part being honest, being fair in our business dealings and being faithful to keep one's word as well as not taking advantage of the poor those with less power or protection. I watched a program in 2008 I wish I'd never seen. It was about chocolate. When we married, I said to Rachel, I don't really like chocolate. I was lying. I was just trying to impress her. Didn't work. She saw through it. And it talked about how So much of the world's supply of chocolate comes from slave labor in Africa. Well, I mean, how could I eat chocolate now, right? And of course, now we have fairly traded chocolate that comes from farms where people are paid a fair trade, fair wage for it. Sometimes when you see something you wish you hadn't and, um, but it causes you to have to choose to make a decision, that where I spend money matters. So it's not taking advantage of the poor or those with less power or protection. That's justice. What is righteousness? I mean, if you've lived any amount of time in the South or in the Bible Belt, you could come up with a pretty good definition. It may not be biblically accurate. Right? The word righteousness, and again, in my pronunciation of Hebrew, is tzedakah. We could talk over coffee if that was good. Um, It's in some ways like we think in the Western world, being righteous is being someone who obeys the rules and who lives within a certain bandwidth of accepted behavior. Words like obedience come up. And that is true, but the Old Testament understanding of righteousness that we see here speaks of a heart that reflects, that the heart of the individual reflects the heart of God, that the heart of the community reflects the heart of God. And so righteousness isn't just, I don't sin, it goes beyond, and it's a righteous heart is a generous heart. The word has a direct link to generosity. And so to be righteous is to be blessing and taking care of those in need. And it's not that he wants us to take care of those in need. That'd be easy. He wants us to want to take care of those in need. And that's what kills you. You know, I don't want you to love me. I want you to want to love me says, my dog, though he's deaf and, you know, can't speak. I'm like, I'm working on it. I just wish you wouldn't wake me up in the night. It has a direct connotation to generosity. And not just money, though money matters. But what is most precious in Dallas is time. In fact, the people who ask you for money when you go downtown, are banking on the fact that it's easier for you to give them money than to stop and give them your time. I used to call them charity muggers. Not really fair, but that's essentially what they're doing. They're stopping you, and they don't really want your help, some of them. They want your money, because they know your time is more precious than your money sometimes. So it's generous with time. It's also generous with relationships. You know, in an era, and we may not attend them, and I have nothing, no, nothing against them, but in the worst possible way, being a member of a group, like a worshiping community that Amos is talking to, you can kind of curate your crowd, and you do business with people who are in and not with those who are out. What would that look like today? I don't know. We could probably get there pretty quickly. So when, when Amos says on behalf of God, let justice roll down like waters, and when he says, and righteousness be like an ever-flowing stream, it's shorthand for the good news about injustice is that God has a heart for justice. And the good news is that a righteous heart isn't just the legalist God who says don't misbehave. It's the God who seeks to put his heart into the heart of his people so that because of when people who don't know him interact with his people, they discover what he's like. And then we have our New Testament reading. The kingdom of heaven will be like. So Jesus is painting a picture of what it's gonna be like when the day of the Lord arrives. And the day of the Lord, when it arrives, he uses imagery here that he's used, that God has used throughout. He's portrayed himself in the Old Testament as a husband and Jesus now pictures himself here as the bridegroom and it was this understanding that everything's working towards this epic party. A party where you very much want to be on the guest list. And it was the Jewish marriage custom for the groom and his friends to leave his home and to proceed to the home of the bride where the marriage ceremony was conducted, often at night. And this, the entire wedding party, would then return to the groom's home for a celebratory banquet. What's the point? We don't do it that way here, right? There's a whole industry around weddings. Maybe it's changed. My experience in 20 years of performing weddings is that um, um, the way that we do them is out the window. Anything's game. And, uh, right, I've seen it all. In fact, I've seen more groomzillas than I've seen bridezillas. But weddings are inherently predictable. There's a list of what has to happen, and it happens. Right? And so what's the point? The point is that the kingdom of heaven is more predictable than you might think. There is mystery involved, and then there's a lot of mystery that isn't involved. What happens at a wedding? There's a ceremony. There's some kind of party. The ceremony comes first. The party comes later. I've seen entourages and I've seen entourages, right? And this is what's there. These 10 virgins are the bride's entourage. They know what's coming. They know what's coming. They know, well, I once had to say to a couple that we were, I was marrying, which had some complex cultural backgrounds, I said, only in terms of punctuality, I said, I will be here until 35 past the hour. If you arrive at 45 minutes past the hour, you can use the building, but I will not be here to perform the wedding. The couple arrived on time. The mother of the bride was an hour late. And so at 35 past the hour, I had to say, I appreciate that your mother is probably the most important person coming to the wedding, but we have another wedding in two and a half hours. We need to get started. What do you do? Right, so anyway, I could go on. That's not why we're here. The lamps, the lamps that the virgins had were large dome-shaped torches fueled by rags soaked in oil and used for walking outside. Oil, these containers of oil, the, the torches would last for several hours. And so everybody going to the party would have had torches and would have needed a backup supply of oil. And so the five that get left behind who run out of oil have delayed making the choices they needed to be able to go to the party. They delayed. And so Jesus says, watch therefore, be ready. Make the decisions you need to make today to be ready for when the party Happens. Totally predictable. Nobody hearing this would have been surprised, except what do you have to do? What did their actions not show? What did their actions betray? They didn't trust that the bridegroom was going to come. So what's the point of these two passages? With judgment, we always think We know who deserves it, your, your, your. It's easy to point the finger. In fact, that's what Israel was doing during the days of Amos. They were pointing the finger so much at their neighbors that they were neglecting the state of their own hearts, and they were so focused on externals that things were allowed to grow in their hearts that actually threatened to destroy, that would provoke the funeral of their nation. And their worship, because of their self-absorption, because they kept pointing the finger out, led, meant that their worship had nothing to do with the rest of the week. After the events a couple of years ago in the summer surrounding um, the George Floyd incident, I had a couple at the church at the time come to me who had all these ideas of what they wanted to do that were justice related. And they came to me, I think because I sit on the uh, board of a nonprofit that works in some of the underserved uh, areas and, uh, of, of Dallas and uh, in the black community, and they thought that I would, you know, I wanted to hear them, and I did want to hear them. And we had this great plan that they'd put together, but I had to stop them, and I said to them, tell me about your prayer life. And they looked at me, and they said, well, what does that have to do with it? I said, oh, oh just Everything. And they're like, why? I said, well, if you're looking to make lasting change and to reflect God's heart of justice, then you need to spend time with him so that what's on his heart will be on your heart. Because if you just have your ideas of what justice ought to look like, you may start off in the right place, but you will never end up where he's going. They never asked for a follow-up conversation. Today, Not you, of course, but other people. There's a thing in our culture today of putting off decisions that need to be made. We wait. We all decide another time. or I won't decide today. And for some who've been hurt, and I'm going to speak a little tenderly at the moment, many have been hurt by the church. And when you're hurt by the church, it affects your relationship with Jesus. And you're faced with a very difficult decision that is difficult to make, but it needs to be made. And I suggest that some of you are being invited to make it today. And it's the hardest thing to do because you can't act on your feelings. But the good news is that the Lord and the church throughout the centuries has informed us that we are called to be believers and not feelers. And so it's something that has to begin out of a decision, not of waiting for the right feelings. And that decision I'm talking about is the the decision to trust again. I know, it's tough. Some of you may feel nausea. But the desire, when you've been hurt, to trust again requires you to forgive and requires you to make your heart vulnerable, vulnerable again to be hurt, and that's why it's so hard. But to be ready requires us to trust, and the good news about this church is you're not asked to make that decision on your own. It's come to us here at St. Bart's to play our small role in God's plan here in North Texas. We articulate it like this, that we want to connect the people of East Dallas with, his, with God and his people. That includes, and it's right here, if you're wondering, I'm not making it up, it's in the back page, this is our vision statement. We want to connect the people of East Dallas with God and his people so that we might behold God and become more like him. And so in the context of our readings, we want to connect the people of East Dallas with God and his people. We want to connect the people of East Dallas with God and his heart for justice and his people who also share his heart, that we might behold God and become more like him. It has really come to us. The kingdom of Jesus is unlike our world. The kingdom of Jesus operates with an end point where there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more exploitation, there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more pain, where all things will be made new. And we will no longer need faith, but we will see him face to face. And it has come to us to pray for and to begin to see that begin to happen. This is an outdated number, but in 2021, there is an expected 27.6 million. There is 27.6 million people forced into labor globally. That's not just something that happens out there in other parts of the world. It happens here. I'm gonna surprise someone now. Brad is here. You've seen Brad play bass. You've seen him play guitar. You've seen him lead worship and give very generously of his time. He works for a foundation that rehabilitates people who've been liberated from people trafficking. I've probably not said that right. The, you know, I've been imprecise with my language. And so it has really come to us to reflect God's heart for justice. And if you wanna know more about that, you can talk to Brad afterwards. Or you could talk to me. It has come to us to reflect God's heart for justice that thing, there is a way that things ought to be done in the kingdom according to Jesus and that when we don't see that happening to challenge and then to be an agent of change. It also has come to us to reflect his heart of righteousness that we would be generous with our time, with our relationships and our money. And so we've talked about money the last couple weeks. You've had a letter about money. Pray about it. We don't just want your money. We want this to be a church that is generous, that will challenge and be a voice that is like the voice of Jesus and that will help the poor, that will be a community that beholds Jesus and becomes like him. And that when we're dispersed throughout the community, we become agents of change and we reflect the very heart of God that not only has a plan, but has paid for it all to be enacted through his son, Jesus on the cross. So, as Amos writes and as Jesus writes, Jesus says be ready, Amos says let justice roll down like water, righteousness like an ever flowing stream. And I have no power or ability to affect any change in any of your hearts. You have no power to affect what goes on in my heart. And so how do we see, that? how do we stop from pointing to actually doing what needs to be done? We say, Lord Jesus, I'd love to be a part of this. Would you start in my heart? Would you show me? Start with me. Lead me to repent. Not to walk away from something, unless you have to, but to walk towards your heart, to your generosity, to your way of doing things. So let's stand, let's pray. I've gone too long, forgive me. Lord, as we sang earlier, you have my heart. And for some of us today, we offer you our hearts afresh. Lord Jesus, we need your help. We need your help to trust again. And we need your help to search for your heart for your heart of justice. And so for those of us in need, for those of us in need to choose to trust again, will you help us, will you lead us? Thank you that we do nothing on our own, but we do it all in community. And so we pray for our world even now as we stand. We pray for the areas of great conflict in our world. We pray and ask for your kingdom to come. And we, even though we have no idea how you're going to work it out in the Ukraine, how you're going to work it out in Israel, and Gaza, and its neighboring countries. But you are the author of peace. And so we pray and commit that to you. We lift to you our country. We lift to you our leaders, our President Joseph, our Governor Greg, and our Mayor Eric. And Lord, we pray that you would lead and guide them We lift to you our community here in East Dallas and beyond. We pray that you would bless it, that you would nourish the homes and the families, that you would bless the work of our hands. We lift to you those near and dear to us in need of healing and commit them to you now. And, Lord, we give to you our hearts. We thank you for the love that you have for us that you've put on display in your Son. Help us to receive more and more of your heart into our lives. And then by your spirit, guide us into action. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.